Hey everybody, how y'all doing tonight? It's good to see you all. I hope y'all are well. I hope you've had a, a good week. Um, I know it's been a hard week. I know a lot of you had midterms last week and this and this week. So um, I hope, yeah, I hope those tests went well. I know it's tough to be a student right now. Uh, I've talked with many of you and it's, it's frustrating. Professors not always being clear with what their expectations are and getting distracted. So yeah, I know it's not it's a hard time to be a college student. Um, yeah, my name's Jonathan. I'm the campus pastor here with RUF, and uh, RUF, we're a Christian group, Reformed University Fellowship, um, and, and uh, we try to gather every week um, and sing. Uh, we sing songs that are maybe a bit different, but I was th- reflecting on all these songs that we were singing tonight um, on the hope hidden in them. Um, they're, they're different, but they're really, really hopeful in the midst of what I know can feel like hopeless times for many of us. Um, why do we do that? Why do we gather? Um, because I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, it's because we're shaped by our habits a lot of the time. Um, we're shaped by what we do, just like in exercise or with diet. They, they literally shape us, um, and, and it's the consistency that makes us healthy people. It's the same way with our faith, with our spirituality, that the habits shape us. Um, and so we, we want to be shaped as people, as our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, our social lives. And so um, we try to do this every week. And so... Um, I know a lot of you get that, um, but maybe some of you are wondering what you're doing here. Um, so, uh, this week we've been, or this mu- this semester we've been looking through the book of Romans, which is a book that Paul wrote to Christians um, 2,000 years ago, and we've been thinking about how does this reflect and rely and impact and influence our lives today. And um, I- I've been really, um, you know, I've been encouraged and, and ministered to. I hope you have too. And uh, this week we're going to continue on. We're actually going to make a pretty big shift in our study of Romans. The last few weeks we've been looking at justification. And if there's any of you who are either new tonight or have missed one of our talks, um, they're all available online. They're recorded. So um, we'll just post on our Instagram those and you can go back and listen to them again. Um, But tonight we're going to make a shift. We're going to go away from talking about justification, which I'll summarize what that is in a second. We're going to start shifting towards a new theological concept called sanctification, and I'll explain all that in a bit. Um, I'll just say this, um, I, uh, the last, so Tuesday is my junk mail day. Uh, how many of y'all have like the day that all the junk mail comes? For me, it's Tuesday, and it's all these advertisements and junk, and one of the things that happens is there's all these credit card offers. Uh, people will, come, will send me this mail and say, hey, here's our credit card, we want you to, to, to apply for this card. And uh, one of the, you know, they all have different reward programs. Some of them will have rewards of cash back or miles or um, something like that. And the one that, uh, that I was thinking about this week that I got is that it, the, the, the card had this incentive program that it says basically the more you spend, the more rewards you get. The more you spend, the more rewards you get. And obviously, they really want you to spend a lot of money because that's how credit cards work. They want you to overspend. And... Uh, Because then, of course, they can charge you interest. And I was thinking about that while I was looking at this card, and I was thinking about what we're going to look at tonight. I was like, wow, that can sometimes feel like what grace in the Christian life can be, right? We think, well, if God is so merciful, if God is this amazing God that we've been studying the last few weeks, this God who forgives us no matter what we do, that we get into his good graces by simply trusting well then, heck, let's live big. Let's go hard. Let's party. Let's, let's live it up. Because just like a credit card, the more we spend, the more he rewards, the more he gives grace. And it could be tempting to think that way and ask that question, well, if this is, if this is how the Christian faith works, then 
I'm just going to go and have a lot of fun. I'm going to go. I'm going to go hard. And tonight we're going to be looking at um, what. But what does the faith say to that? What does the faith say to this temptation to say, well, if grace is this big, then why not just live life hard? If justification means that God loves you and accepts you, not based on what you do, not based on your obedience, but based on Jesus' obedience, then then why not just go, go live in any way we want? If that's true, then we are saved and reconciled not based on what we do, but God's kindness. Why should we obey? If spiritually, the more you sin, the more God will forgive you. And tonight we're going to look at one of the most important theological truths in the whole Bible. If there's one thing that the Bible hammers home, it's this idea. And this idea is this union with Christ. If there's one thing that you come away with tonight, it's union with Christ. And this is this. Union with Christ is it's this, it's this reality that gives us dominion over the power of sin in our lives. Union with Christ is this power that gives us dominion over the power of sin in our lives. We're going to look at this in three ways. One, how there's a death like his, a life like his, and a purity like his. A death like his, a life like his, and a purity like his. So let me read our text, and then uh, we will dig in. By the way, is if you have questions about what we're um, talking about tonight, if something's not clear, if you want to follow up, shoot me a text. My phone number is on the piece of paper, and uh, we will dialogue with those texts when I'm done. So if you have your piece of paper or a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses. I'll tell you, I need a big letter Bible up here. My eyes are bad. All right, this is God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as slaves to righteousness, sorry, slaves as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to, as, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let me pray really quickly. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us and gathering us from across a city um, and across even states coming from many places to this place to a grassy hill at New Mexico State. Your spirit is at work in all of that. We pray that your spirit would continue to work now as we look at your word, that your spirit would illumine our minds to deep truths that would encourage and shape our lives for you and your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's look and see what Paul is saying here. All right, so first thing I want us to think about is a death like his. 
a death like his. Look again at verse 3 and 5 here. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So what's he saying here? He's saying that we've been united to Christ in a death like his. Now what's going on here? Paul is telling us that when we trust in Jesus, that moment that we say, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm in, I trust in what Christ has done for me, that he has died for me, that he rose for me, and that I have, the only way I'm accepted is by being with being, being trusting in him. He says, at that moment of trust, he says, we are inseparably connected with Jesus. That at our conversion, that saving faith unites us to Jesus. And he, here's the way to think of it. Any, how many of you are sports fans? Anybody here a sports fan? Any, any, any kind of sports? Win the points, score the goals. All right, one person. All right, I know that more of you are sports fans than that because I've seen you watch sports win games. Um, so a few years ago, my team, my football team in particular, was in the national championship. I'm a huge fan of Ohio State football. Um, and uh, they were in the national championship. And I was watching the, uh, the game, the football game, from like thousands of miles away from where the game was. And of course, being the best football team that has ever played the wonderful game of football, they won the national championship. And I was ecstatic, right? I was overjoyed that my team had won. And what did I do? I ran around telling people, we won, we won. When of course, <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I am not a football player. I never have been, I never will be. But I could still say, my team, we won. I'm identifying myself with them. I'm saying that my success is linked to their success. That my, in fact, I, I sink, we, and we all do this with sports, we sink our identity into that team so that their win becomes our win, their loss becomes our loss. And that's the idea that's going on here with our, with our union with Christ, but it's even on a, more, on, on a deeper level so that when it says here that Christ dies, that the moment that we trust in him, we also die with him. That we also die with him. Verse 3 and 4, how does this happen? Well, he tells us it's in our baptism. And this is a huge topic and more than I can answer tonight. But if you have questions, I'd love to, to process it with you. Baptism, of course, for many of you, you may know, is a Christian sacrament, which is a, it's a sign and a seal of a deeper spiritual reality, of something that's happening that God is doing. And a baptism, a sacrament, is sort of like a road sign. Think of it like this. Um, let's say you're driving to go to Carlsbad Caverns, right? And you're getting close to Carlsbad, and you see a sign uh, that says you're, getting, that you're, you know, you're 10 miles from the, from the caverns. The sign is not the caves, right? You don't drive to Carlsbad to see a sign of the caves, right? No, you drive to the caves themselves and the signs point you to the cave, right? The signs tell you you're getting closer. The signs signify or point to a reality that's deeper. That's what baptism is. It points to a deeper spiritual reality such that Getting baptized does not save us automatically. It's not something that makes us accepted and loved by God, but it points to God's work and faithfulness in our lives to save us. And our embracing, one, I mean, it's our conversion, our moment of saving faith. Baptism is our initiation into the Christian life. It's more than just getting wet. And that even if you're baptized as a child, you still have to have that moment where you say, yes, I trust in what Jesus has done for me. I receive his righteousness as my own. 
it points to that spiritual reality. So Paul here, he's talking about this spiritual act of conversion that, that Christianity has in baptism. He says that that moment of conversion, we become united to Jesus in his death. So that what happens to Jesus happens to us. Verse 4. Where's verse 4? If I can, let's see. We were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is saying here that when we trust Jesus, we are united to him in his death and that his death becomes our death, the death of the old self, which he tells us, was crucified with Christ. Now, why does that matter? Why does all this stuff have any matter in how you and I are thinking about ourselves? Well, it has a huge implication on how you think about who you are as a person, your identity. So much about what college is, is trying to figure out who am I? What, what do I value? How is my identity distinct from the place that I've come from, my parents and my hometown and who I was in high school? How is it the same? How is it continuous? Union in Christ, baptism with Christ, is a huge source of saying, this is my identity. This is who I am. And it's so tempting for us as Christians. I talk to college students all the time who are so tempted to say, my identity is that of a sinner. They just think, I'm a huge sinner. How can God possibly love me? If he knew, if God saw what I had done, what I'm capable of, he said, we think, I'm dirty. I did that thing. I'm ugly. I'm lustful. I'm angry. I'm a depraved worm. How could God possibly love me? And when you're doing that, you're defining yourself by your sin, and you're forgetting the amazing power of your union with Christ in your death with Christ. That you have, the sin in you has died, just like Christ died. Verse 6 and 7 tells us that. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, does this mean that it is impossible for Christians to sin? Does this mean that, what does he say here, that we have died to sin and been set free from sin? What does that mean? Does that mean that Christians will never sin, that it's impossible for a Christian to possibly sin? No. That's not what it means at all. Why? Because there's two reasons. One, we already read in verse 12 that Paul exhorts us to not let sin reign in our bodies, which means that it's possible for a Christian to, to still sin. But second, the Bible and, uh, and Christian history is full of people who are strong, vibrant Christians who still do sinful things. So free from sin or died to sin, it means that sin no longer has the controlling power in your life as a Christian. You hear that? Sin no longer has the controlling life or power in you as a Christian. You have died. You're not a slave to sin. Verse 6 tells us that we are enslaved to sin, and yet we were, we've been died, we died to that and been buried with Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that when you become a Christian, when you convert to the Christian faith, place your trust in Jesus, that, 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 that a part of you dies. The part of you that was hostile to God, the part of you that was rebellious, that's gone. That's, that's, that's been eradicated. That is no longer you. All of that has died in Christ's death. And so our, our new identity is in Christ. 
Do you understand here? I hope you're seeing here how important that becomes for understanding who you are as a Christian, that you are no longer defined by sin. You are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint who sometimes still sins. So that's the first thing to see is that it's a death like his, a death like his. Second thing is a life like his. Look at verse 4 and 5. We were buried with him in a baptism to death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What does this mean? Verse 8, same thing. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What does this mean? It means that as Christians, there is a new horizon, a new opportunity of life and satisfaction and freedom available for us. There's a dead to sin and alive to God, as Paul puts it. And that has so many wonderful, awesome applications. You could spend your whole life thinking about and meditating in and with the whole church thinking about union with Christ. But Paul has one application for us tonight, and that is our sanctification. That's what he wants us to say. He's, okay, the old part of you has died. There's a new part of you that is alive with Christ. And here's what I want you to think about in that, and that's our sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Well, justification, we've been talking about that the last few weeks. Justification is God's action, his one-time action of saying, you are now legally free of sin by trusting in Jesus. That nothing you do makes you accepted, but just trusting in Jesus and what he has done at that moment, that point in time, you are free from sin, you are justified from sin. All because of Christ's sinless perfection placed on us and our brokenness and sin placed on him. That's justification. Sanctification Sanctification is after that the gradual process of killing the sin that still lives in us and of becoming the kind of people who love God and love others and rightly love ourselves. That's Paul's goal here. He says, if we have become this kind of people who are alive like Christ, avail yourself to this sanctification. That's, goals, that's Paul's goal here. He says, you're dead to sin and alive spiritually in Jesus so that you can live rightly or righteously. So that brings us back to the question, the credit card question. If grace is free, why not just keep sinning knowing that God has saved me? And Paul says, look what he says in, in verse 1. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means. He's as emphatic as he can possibly be. By no means are we to do that. He says, are you, he says when you think that way, when you're, you're not understanding the radical transformation that has happened to you as a Christian, that there is the, a part of you is no longer there and a new part of you that, that, that is alive to things of God is present now. There's a new you because of your union with Christ. Think of it this way. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of continuing or indwelling sin. And verse 11 drives all of this home. He says, if this is all true, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus or because of your union with Jesus. 
And he says, how is that to look? He says, well, it's in our daily Christian walk. In verse 4, he talks about our walk in newness of life. Anytime the Bible uses the word walk, it's referring to our daily Christian, our, our daily lives of actions and thoughts and behavior and emotions. And so he's saying that this union with Christ thing should have a direct influence in how you and I live out our lives tomorrow. When we get out of bed, when we log into our computers to look at Zoom, when we go to class, when we have breakfast with our roommates or our family, that this sanctification thing affects that. Now, what does this mean on, the gr on boots on the ground? It means this, and this is where this is, gets to be really good news. It means that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of union with Christ, change is an option for you and me. It means that you can change. It means, and here's why this is good news, because let's be honest. There are parts about you that you wish weren't present, and there are parts of you that you wish were present. There are things in your life that you say, I wish I was a different person. I wish I didn't have this particular personality flaw. I wish I didn't have this behavior that I keep doing. I wish I did this thing more. Maybe it's your language. I, I wish I wasn't as cruel with my words sometimes. I wish I didn't say these words. Maybe it's with an addiction like drinking. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's gossip. Some sort of sexual addiction. Jealousy. You say, these, there's these things in my life that I'm not happy with. Or I wish I was the kind of person who was more willing to sacrifice my time for someone else. I wish I was the kind of person who my default was to let somebody merge into the traffic in front of me rather than rev up and cut them off. Sanctification, which is fueled by our union in Christ, means that you are not indefinitely stuck in the personality flaws that you hate about yourself. It's the good news that you, and it's the good news that you don't get yourself out of it. It's not like you just say, hey, I'm going to try really, really hard to say nice words today. I hope I can do it. Every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world says, if you want to change who you are, you have to do it. You have to work harder. You have to throw yourself into good habits and good behaviors and think hard about yourself. Even psychology, you know, even things that are not, arguably not religions say, if you want to change who you are, you have to go do it. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says God changes you because of your union with Christ. Christianity says, no, God does it. That sanctification is a work of God saving us from the power of sin. How does he do that? Well, it's, it, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Some of you may have heard of this. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who aids the Christian in this process of becoming the people that we long to be. And the main action of the Holy Spirit is to aid us in what Christians have called the mortification of sin. Mortification is a big theological word for the killing the killing of sin. Later on in Romans 8.11, Paul says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit, here's the key, through his spirit who dwells in you. What does this mean? That because of our union with Christ, because of your union with Christ when you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit floods into your life in such a significant way that God himself begins to slowly work the change that we long to see in our lives. So that the Christian spiritual life is a sin-killing life. 
It means that you're not stuck being who you are indefinitely, but that God in the Holy Spirit is at work. Nothing less than the God who created the whole universe and raised Jesus from the dead is working now in your heart, in your life, in your hands, in your body to save you even from yourself. That's the life like his. Third point, a purity like his. Last point. All of this means that we are both called to and capable of radical holiness. We are called to and capable of radical holiness. Verse 12, if this is all true, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. This is a pivot point in the whole book of Romans because Paul shifts away from the question of how do we get okay with God? That's up to this point we've been answering the question, how do we get okay with God? And the answer has been justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Now we respond to the question of how do we respond to God's grace? And the answer is a radical chaste pursuit of holiness in our lives. And he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The image here is that we are new creations in Christ and that in the real world of school and relationships, the walk of your life, in the real world of temptations to sin, that you and I are called to deep and radical holiness. And that sin still afflicts and infects us, and yet we are still capable by the work of the Holy Spirit to resist and mortify that sin. Now, how does that happen? I think there's two ways. One, there's the, there's the temptation to ignore sin. The temptation to ignore sin. Ignoring sin is a tacit way of saying, I'm going to continue in sin that grace may abound. Right? Ignoring sin is us just saying, well, I'm pretty sure God's going to cover it up, so I'm just going to ignore this. I'm just going to go get drunk with my friends. I'm going to just tolerate my anger. I'm going to nurse a bitter heart towards this other person. I'll dabble in porn or something like that. You just think it's not that bad, right? It's not, it's not that bad what I do. And here's what's happening when you're, when you're ignoring sin in your life. You're forgetting the death of Christ. You're forgetting that first point of a death like his. You're saying, God will forgive me, so I'll just tolerate this sin. You're forgetting that your sin has, that you have died to your sin in Christ. So that's the first option, to ignore our sin. The second option is to shame spiral in sin. And this is the opposite problem. If ignoring sin is, is, is to just sort of like, eh, it's not that big a deal, the shame spiral is to make a huge deal, to overvalue the sin in our lives. And this is the person who says, oh man, I blew it. How can God possibly love me? I'm worthless. I, God is nothing. I, I mean, I'm nothing in God. How can I be anything? And to return again to the sin and shame and discourage it and say, why try? Why even try? This person has forgotten the life like his, the life in Christ that God by his Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to live a holy life. Both ignoring sin and overvaluing sin is not the life of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not what we're called to. Let me show you that how, how grounded this can be, how, how much this can affect you. I'm going to give you an illustration from yesterday and, and how I've been working this out in my own life. So yesterday, I think I told a couple of you, I just had an off day yesterday. I know you've all been there where you just have a bad day. I was tired. I had been up too late. I was frustrated with some things that were going on. And um, 
it all came to a head with my dog. Um, many of you know my dog. I know Deborah loves my dog. And my dog is the best dog in the whole world. He's also a lot. <laughs> he can be a handful. He's like this 80-pound puppy who's going to be the best dog in the world in 18 months. But right now, he's a lot. And so um, he was all up in my business. He was sniffing me and crawling all over me. And I was, just, I was frustrated. And so I had just had it. And so I just gritted my teeth. I grabbed him by the collar. And I just started shaking him. And I was so mad at him. And I just uh, I stopped. And at that next moment, I felt just this anger welling up in my heart. I was so mad. Not just at him, but at all these things that were in my life. I was so angry. And I thought of this passage <laughs> that I had been studying and thinking about for tonight. And I had a choice. I could either explain away my sin and ignore it and say, I deserve to be mad. Stuff's going on and, I'm, and I deserve to be mad at this dog. Or I could have shame spiraled, right? And I could have said, Oh my gosh, how am I supposed to be a pastor to college student when I'm committing animal abuse? How can I be a Christian who is just beating up on some poor dog? How can God possibly love me? I could have ignored my sin. I could have shame spiraled in my sin. Or I could have leaned into what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do in sanctification. When the Bible answer is to, the biblical answer is to say, you stop and you say, wow, I just blew it. I sinned. I let the, my passion of anger get the better of me. I'm dead to sin, meaning that, that sin still has no power over me. It has no bearing in what God thinks of me. I can't ignore it. I have to reconcile myself with God for this, but I'm also not going to let it destroy me and say, I can't possibly be a Christian. I let the anger get a better of me, but I, I say I'm dead to sin, that, that the sin has no power over me and no standing over me, and I'm no, longer, I'm no longer in the position of having to be controlled by my anger. So what did I do? I, I, I went for a run, I blew off some steam, and then I stopped and I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, I'm angry today. And I know that you are dwelling in me, I know that you are at work in me, I know that I am dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ, help me to live that out today to rest in my identity in Christ. That's how union with Christ can fuel you, can empower you in the very real things that you are going through in your day and life to this radical call to obedience. Do you see that? Union Christ, it empowers us to acknowledge our sin and then to fight it. That's the good news that you and I need. That's, I mean, that's Christianity zeroing in into the... I mean, I, I get so frustrated when people come to me and say, Christianity has no application into my life. I say, you're not reading it. You're not studying it well. It has every application into the very lives that you and I are encountering today. Make that process your own this week. When you encounter sin in your lives, let your death like Christ and your life like Christ and the Spirit at work in you drive you to radical obedience. Know your tendency. Are you the kind of person who tends to ignore sin? You're the kind of person who tends to overvalue sin. Do you ignore your gossiping heart or do you spiral? And sometimes it can be both. You know, you can ignore your gossiping heart but spiral when you fall into lust. Maybe you spiral in anger but you ignore when you cheat on a test. Whatever it is, 
Look hard into your life and make that process your own. And the Holy Spirit is, is with you, is present with you, giving you the power of your sin. This is a call to radically re-examine our lives and just to, and to dig out the weeds that remain. One of, I know one of you guys have all heard me talk about Jonathan's epic saga of trying to grow grass in New Mexico. I, I bring it up all the time because it's just, it's like on the level of Lord of the Rings saga. It's just this ongoing thing. And one of my goals has been to eliminate goat heads from a yard because I hate stepping on goat heads more than anything. And so one of the things is I've just had to chip away at it because my yard is, was full of goat heads. And so um, I've, I, literally what I have to do is go out pretty much, I go out pretty much every day and I just walk around a section of my yard and I look for those telltale little yellow flowers and I pull them up. And so it's this constant daily process of going into a part of the yard and saying, where are they? I know they're there. That's what you and I are called to, is to this radical daily examination of my heart and saying, I know it's there. And I can make progress in killing the sin or the goat heads in your life. The same is true of your sanctification, a relentless attack of applying your union with Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit into your life. What does this passage teach us? This passage teaches us that union with Christ, probably the most important idea in the whole Bible, gives us dominion over the power of sin. It prevents us from ignoring sin, and it keeps us from shame spiraling into sin. By looking at the death like Christ and the life like Christ, and how that empowers us to live the holy and pure lives that we all want to live. I pray that we become the kind of people who that is true of us. Man, if RUF is that kind of community, holy smokes, we would be such an, a light. We are such a light to a campus that is desperately needing that kind of hope. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your good word. Thank you for how it does speak so, so in, intelligently and comprehensively into our lives. I pray that it would be something that we can understand and apply. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.